0: No, the right no,
1: house. I we
0: want to talk and to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Well, I'll
2: see you next weekend one after. Well, if that's what the palace have decided. It's still possible you might be queen one day.
0: I want to help people. You're so good at giving love. The hard part is receiving love. Doctor, this is Diana.
2: Well, perhaps I can show you around. There's a canteen on the ground floor, but it's not open late.
1: You could always pop around the corner for supper with me. (laughs) I'm serious.
0: I don't know how to contact you.
2: Well, I'm like most people. I've got a mobile Actually, I'm
3: not like most people. I have four.
2: Cheers. Cheers. He doesn't treat me like a princess. It's almost as if he doesn't know who I am.
3: Maybe he doesn't. He might be very badly informed. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast taking the scenic route into a cholera outbreak. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. Are you studiously avoiding the paparazzi at all costs? I am. I am in Nicole Kidman's fur wig from the movie (laughs) Fur, an imaginary portrait of Dion Arbus. Very good. Uh, yes, Nicole Kidman, the best friend of our miniseries this this month. What if Nicole was listening to this just to sort of do recon Key on uh, her best buddy Naomi Watts? This is the maybe the episode to have a little bit more of the Nicole Kidman
1: conversation because this movie feels so like psychically linked to Grace of Monaco Absolutely. in every absolute way. And Absolutely. like like I joked the Princess Diana's brunette wig in this movie makes her look shockingly
3: like Nicole Kidman as a brunette. I leapt for my notebook as I was making notes to write down about the brunette wig, but like we'll we'll get into that once we uh get into the episode. But yeah, so um as our listeners uh, hopefully know, we are smack in the middle of our month-long Naomi Watts miniseries that I somewhat regrettably refer to as Naomi on Twitter, because it's <laughs> the month of May. I'm very sorry. When you sent me that, I wanted to say, you smell like
1: Naomi and brass polish, you've been to a strip club.
3: <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, previously we've talked about, uh, The Divorce with our guest Bobby Finger. Last week we talked about The Painted Veil, hence my, um, perhaps poor-taste cholera comment in the intro, and now the one episode that when Chris and I were discussing this mini series, I said we absolutely 100% have to do. We have to do Diana. It is the, pardon the pun, crown jewel in the Naomi Watts conversation of Uh, failed Oscar gambits. You get to make that joke one time this episode. Fine. Well, I did. And uh, hopefully it killed. And we decided we had to bring a guest on for the Diana episode. We had to give it as much pomp and circumstance as possible. We have a returning guest this week. Previously, you guys heard him on our episode about evening. The star studded a uh, snoozy uh michael cunningham adaptation evening from the uh from vanity fair chief critic at vanity fair from their wonderful uh podcasts uh still watching and little gold men who uh, whose podcast i was on and made fantastic oscar predictions that will never ever come to pass now because you know whatever what are happening. theaters yeah welcome back richard lawson
2: Pip-pip cheerio.
3: (laughs) We're going to Mary England. (laughs) We all should be practicing our accents for this. Yes, apparently. Um, Naomi said in interviews about Diana that she watched the Martin Bashir interview with Diana constantly, just on a constant loop, trying to get the accent right. I, to my perhaps embarrassment, don't think I know the Diana accent, like, innately. So I couldn't, like, judge. I was just like, was she doing a good job in this movie? Perhaps. I don't know. I can't think of too many times when I actually have heard Diana speak. So
2: That's the weird thing about the Royals. I remember when Prince William um, announced that he and Kate Middleton were engaged, and I saw an interview, and I was like, I don't think I've ever heard him speak before. Yeah, Like, obviously, you've seen them in, you know, many paparazzi you know photos and stuff but yeah I don't, I don't know that I could tell you what Diana sounded like either I know that the audio is out there but
3: it's like those cartoons there's sort of like a cartoon trope where you see this like sort of very beguiling and alluring figure and they're sort of elusive and whatever I think of that scene in Roger Rabbit where all of a sudden he like tracks down the Jessica Rabbit lookalike and, and all of a sudden her voice is just like oh ah, my god like that kind of thing that it's just like <laughs> oh I you didn't sound <laughs> what you thought you would sound like at all She's kind of,
1: from my memory, I've definitely seen the Martin Bashir interview. She's more, like, soft-spoken, so it's like an impersonation of it is not, you know, like, you really have to get down to some crazy minutia. And, like, the scene where they recreate that interview, you can tell that she's watched it probably a million times because it feels so... Minute, and she's taking these like tiny little details about her speech rhythms and magnifying
3: them. Yeah, like to there's a, a scene feel- of like, like yeah. Diana rehearsing it, her- rehearsing for herself that feels very mirrored to, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps Naomi rehearsing to play Diana.
1: There's a certain like jaw tension that feels unique to Princess Diana that I think Naomi Watts did get. But I mean, we'll we'll get into the performance. Uh,
2: yeah, there's a certain feeling like that 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 interview is so technically precise, and then the rest of the movie is just this completely characterless, fucking nothing of a romance. <laughs> that you're right. Like, so you you wrote a musical just for this one song, and then thought that right. was enough. Like <laughs> right, the big eleven well, o'clock I, number. But oh
1: god, that's yeah. right. There was a Diana musical on Broadway in previews.
2: I was supposed to see it uh, two days after they shut things down. Yeah.
3: Oh, Oh, my God. Wow. Truly poignant uh, in this case. And And just also the fact that, like, this, you know, as we said, this Bashir interview, so momentous, so important, and really the only two things... I really remember from it are the comment that she, you know, we see it a couple of times in the movie that, you know, there were three people in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded, which was like the line from that interview. That was the one that sort of got all the headlines and and got to the sort of center of the gossip story that everybody wanted to listen to. Um, and then it was also for me, it was the eyeliner, which I remember being like, A, everybody talked about it, but B, it's still striking to look at it now. And it's just like, wow, that is, you know, that is a look. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and, you know, they definitely went with that. But it's, it's also sort of like part and parcel of this. You know, this is a woman who everybody knew about and everybody kind of, especially in England, sort of had this personal relationship with that was completely one-sided, right? And everybody sort of had their own feelings about Diana in one way or another. And so how do you make a movie about somebody who's, greatest who's famous mostly because of how other people feel about them rather than like things that they necessarily did and which isn't to say that like you know diana's accomplishments in her life were negligible but it's it was interesting to me that this movie ended with those postscripts about the landmines like multiple Mm -hmm. postscripts about her work with landmines and i was just like oh that would have been an actually somewhat interesting i want to watch that movie To take on Diana, to have her sort of – it be like the Lincoln of Diana where she spends most of the movie like really like trying to work out the politics of what she wants to get done with landmines and have that be this sort of like window into her life rather than this, what we got, which was sort of glossy and, you know, wan and just sort of just like it's, you you know – kind of just sits there and i was gonna say you
1: you mentioned that like princess diana is a figure that everyone has some type of opinion or point of view on and the movie ended up being made by someone who apparently has yeah no opinion of her whatsoever
3: he was saying that in interviews he was just like i didn't really know much about diana and i never cared and i was like oh okay well then you are a natural Clearly. fit for this
2: yeah i kind of wish they'd made you know this one of those quote-unquote biopics like i'm not there or something that's more about like the idea of the person and the sort of mood that surrounds them rather than the particulars of their life i mean i think it's a good idea to maybe who zeroed in on the landmines thing if you're going to do a more straightforward narrative movie but but yeah exactly the fascination with diana was not necessarily like the day-to-day of her interior life it was like what she represented and all that and this movie Um, in only uh, you know other than a few brief moments just it it turns it all so much more banal than uh, you know kind of imagined that's possible to imagine about about this incredibly um, you know scrutinized life Um, it's kind of a boggling movie in that it makes almost every single wrong choice it could have uh, (laughs) from frame one
0: yeah
3: and and yet to me it's not like it's not a spectacularly bad movie in that we can have fun with it. Like, there are bad movies that you can sort of like have fun with. There's no one moment from this movie I feel like I would screen grab or take a gif from or like quote dialogue from to kind of have fun with it, even. It's just, it's just very bland. And I mean, its- maybe the wig reveal. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the the wig reveal is extraordinary. And the I think the, the movie's most indelible image is what I think its original poster was, which is her sitting on the edge of the diving board off of Dodi El Fayed's yacht. And that's an extraordinary shot. And it's beautiful. And it evokes something yeah. that the rest of the it's like, a, it looks like a Luca Guadagnino movie or something. And then it mm-hmm. just isn't very much not is not so, again, kind of ironically, like, like the person herself, this movie suffers from it from the iconography.
3: Yeah, God, Diana's A Bigger Splash would have been a movie right there. Like, that's a movie <laughs> I would have wanted to see. So, uh, Richard, before we sort of delve too far into things, we wanted to ask you a similar question to what we asked Bobby when he was on our The Divorce episode, which is we're doing this uh, Naomi Watts miniseries, obviously. What do you recall as your first experience either seeing Naomi Watts in a movie or sort of being aware of her as a celebrity? Um, as an
2: avid Entertainment Weekly reader uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, and also a sort of not David Lynch fan, I remember reading about Mulholland Drive as that movie kind of made its way through its year, um, and being curious about this new talent everyone was talking about, but having no real interest in seeing that movie. Uh-huh. Um, and so, I, my my hunch is that the first time I actually saw her on screen was at an apartment, off-campus apartment that some friends lived in, 16 Gerald Road in Boston, Massachusetts, um, uh, where we all watched The Ring together. Um, So that would have been 2003-ish. I guess the movie was out in 2002, so whenever it was on video. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, she is interesting. Um, It did not compel me to go watch Mulholland Drive for a number of years, but it was exciting. It was the first time I can really remember... As a, at least as an adolescent, where I kind of, from, obviously from a distance, watched a movie star kind of emerge out of the shadows.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun to be able to sort of be, have some kind of awareness of that as it's happening. The generation
1: of people that saw The Ring for the first time on a VHS. Yeah. That oh, is yeah.
3: delightfully spooky. Uh, one, of the, one of the quintessential VHS movies of our time. <laughs> so and then we so when i uh i can't remember what selection i presented you with when uh when i offered you a spot to talk about one of the naomi watts movies we were doing but you i believe diana was was an instant reaction from you if i recall well
2: yeah i think when we talked about it i hadn't seen it um and then i watched it during you know quarantine um as kind of a lark, and then I realized it's not a lark at all. It's kind of a dull movie. Um, <laughs> <It's not>. Yeah, <laughs> but I think you know I was just talking to my sister about this before we recorded because um, she was curious, like what the podcast I was going to do was and what the theme was, and it it gave me an opportunity to kind of lay out my, you know, Naomi Watts theory of connectivity or whatever. In that, like, she is a fast. Her career is fascinating because she started with. You know, or I mean, she'd been around before, but her her breakthrough was in the right choice with the right director, being Mulholland Drive with David Lynch. Yeah, and so many times since then, she has chosen the project with the the director right after the good one. You know, um, yeah, she's done the lesser of of Woody Allen, she's done the lesser of Noah Baumbach, she's done the lesser of Peter Jackson. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on. So I, I think I think she's a perfect choice for your podcast because she represents so much about how our Um, understanding of what an awards movie is, what an awards performance is, uh, has changed over the last 20 years. Um, And uh, it has not changed in her favor.
3: It's interesting, it's it's forever interesting that she and Kidman are so intertwined. They have the personal friendship, they have, you know, and their careers sort of both hit a level-up period in 2001, but I think when you talk about, Richard, the, that Naomi sort of choosing, you know, the right directors with the wrong projects, Nicole's always choosing the right directors with the right projects, or at least more mm-hmm. often than not. And Just I philosophically
1: guess, like, with her career choices, she always chases directors.
3: Yeah. Versus right. like, and th- the role. And you could almost see if you know if you want to view Naomi's career as sort of like following in her friend's footsteps and sort of, you know, taking inspiration by what Nicole's choices are. It's sort of it's it's kind of, I don't want to say sad as in like pathetic, but like it's Kind of a bummer to see like Naomi sort of taking all the lessons from, you know, this friend of hers' career and just always getting the bum end of it. It's 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 it's, it's a
1: bummer because, and I think we might have mentioned this in a previous episode. Like she's making good on paper decisions, but like when it doesn't work out, it doesn't ever really feel like it's her fault necessarily. Like we can talk about how we feel about this performance, but like I don't think anything. In this movie, is at all, yeah. her problem.
3: <laughs> well, let's sort of let's travel the path from the Painted Veil, which was our last episode, to up to uh, Diana in 2013. So, Eastern Promises in 2007, which is becomes very much a Viggo Mortensen story. He gets mm-hmm. the Oscar nomination for that. She's, you know, there. She plays Russian in that, right? Am I wrong?
0: I yeah,
2: I think she, she plays the sister plays of Russian? her. No. Oh, wait, no, she's British. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah.
3: All right.
1: Eastern Promises feels very much like the beginning of the roles for Naomi Watts, where like she is deferential to someone else, where it's, like, it's fully someone else's movie. She doesn't really get much opportunity to shine, and I think that is indicative of a lot of, especially this era of movies that we're going to talk about before we get to Diana. Yeah,
2: It's also a good um, example of the fact that, like, yeah, Cronenberg was enjoying a resurgence, but this is not the Maria Bella role from um, uh, History of Violence, you right. know? So right. she, she's just always one movie late, you know, um, yeah. as she chases this thing.
3: Yeah, uh, then next year, 2008, uh, Funny Games, which she is sort of the – she's the 1A kind of role in that, but that mm-hmm. is um, a shot project – remake right of his of his own of michael Hanukkah's own original and yet like it's one of those ones that were just like comes to america and america's just like yeah we didn't really need that we did not want that that is not something we were interested in seeing it's such like it's so highly stylized with its you know violence and self referentialness and metafictional it's, you know, aspects it, like literally at one point just sort of like stares into the camera and blames you for wanting to watch you know, horrible things happen to people, which to me is pretty obnoxious, but I know mileage varies on that film. I don't know if you guys have seen this particular I haven't seen that either. one. I like the original. I have
2: seen the, the Watts version. Um, at the time, I didn't really know Hanukkah's work and rented it with my sister, thinking it was just going to be an Amy Watts thriller. And then two hours later, my sister was like, What the hell did you just make me watch? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but i need to go like wash my eyeballs cuz that was horrible
3: ultimately what it is to me is it's it's a quintessential michael pitt brady corbett movie where it's just like oh yeah like that's what you cast those two guys for is to be teenage like psycho twinks yes <laughs> it's exactly right um 2000- michael hanika
2: somewhere listening to this starts writing down teenage <laughs> psycho
3: tw- <laughs> 2023. 20, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Coming. He calls eventually. up Isabel. Isabel, I have an idea. <laughs>
2: Could you be a twink?
3: <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, I had the exact same dream, and it was. I don't she's know sitting why there, she's there shaved, like, with shaved, with the hair.
2: shaved head, dyed blonde. She's like already yeah. there. <laughs>
3: yep. She's in character. She's you know she's in Vienna as we speak, like ready to roll. She's ready. She's good. uh the International, 2009, Tom Tickfer which Another is... Another movie that's like, it's Clive Owen's movie. And it's the Tom Tickfer movie that nobody talks about. Like, yeah. It truly just did. It happened. I know I saw it. I know I saw it in the theater because I remember that scene at the Guggenheim. That's really the only thing... I remember about that movie is like the literal like architecture of the interior of the Guggenheim in that movie. There's a whole big like action set piece, but like, do I remember what it was about? It was a heist, an international intrigue thing. Somebody had a file. I don't know, like something. Definitely saw it, but who the hell knows?
1: Right, Mother and Child, which is another Rodrigo Garcia ensemble movie,
3: which she's really good in, I think.
1: People really like Annette Benning in that movie, too. But, like, that was a movie that still just didn't really register, even though it has its fans.
3: Oh, totally. Absolutely. Richard, did you see either one of those two, The International or Mother and Child?
2: I believe I've seen both. I couldn't tell you anything about The International other than the Guggenheim thing, which you mentioned. Um, I am a fan, or had been a fan, of Rodrigo Garcia because of a movie he made before Mother and Child, so again, Naomi doing the one after, um, uh-huh. he made the movie um, Nine Lives, which I think is actually a really lovely um, movie with it's a series of vignettes that have some connecti- connective tissue, but not really. Mother and Child, less so, beautiful score, um, but Garcia has lost me. His latest at Sundance this year was just terrible. Um,
1: oh, God.
2: Uh, with, with The Glenn um,
1: Close one, right? Tell me yeah, about we're, that Yeah, where Mila Kunis terrible. plays
2: her daughter because they look, so, I mean, you know, I think who could Mila Kunis' mom be? And I think, oh, Glenn Close. Clearly, that's, that makes total <laughs> visual sense. Uh, you know, you know, Mila Kunis, a Russian. <laughs> you know, you know, her mom is the Queen Wasp of Connecticut. Um,
3: Mila Kunis was also playing Alice and Janney's sister in a movie that was supposed to come out this year that who knows when it will come out. But I was just like, that's maybe people need to go to a seminar and sort of, you know, let's all discuss who can plausibly play related to Mila Kunis and who can't.
2: Yeah, no, it needs to be one of those flow charts. Is your character Russian? No, cast someone else.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Have either of you two seen You Will Meet a Tall, Dark Stranger? Because I never have. No. The the Woody Allen film.
2: I remember someone, I have not seen it, I remember someone saying, it's really boring, and I was like, okay, if someone's saying a Woody... They said said, it's really boring for a Woody (laughs) Allen movie. I was like, that must mean it's really boring, uh, and I am never going to see it.
3: Well, Woody Allen has sort of hopscotched through the 2000s, up until the point where like Critical Mass hit and he became fully unpalatable, um, sort of at long last. But he's hopscotched through the 2000s, making either... Really well received movies, or movies that like completely went nowhere, where it's just like Vicky Cristina Barcelona does really well, Midnight in Paris gets a you know, gets Oscar nominations, and then he'll do stuff like To Rome with Love, nothing, Blue Jasmine, a big Oscar success, Magic in the Moonlight, nothing. Um, even something sort of that I find small and cute, like Cafe Society, nobody remembers that like Blake at Lively's all. good in that movie yes she is she definitely you
1: will meet is. a tall dark stranger was also one of the ones because when Woody Allen movies were still in favor and like people were still deciding to look the other way about him it was like he still would make absolutely dreadful terrible nobody likes this movie movies and like because he made so many movies good or bad you know, that reputation was like, this is one of the ones you don't have to see when he made another terrible one. And I felt like that happened immediately with this movie.
2: Yeah. And yet again, Woody is enjoying his renaissance, his Euro phase. Naomi says her management team says, "Okay, go, do do the next one." She does the next one, and it's the worst one. You know, it's just like <laughs> right. she cannot win. She cannot yeah. ever get oh, a it, break it, with this stuff. Is
3: it Blue Jasmine? No, no, no. It's You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger. Mm. Yeah, is it Vicky cool.
2: Christina Too? No, 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 no. It's a boring thing that no one cares about. With Anthony Hopkins, Isn't there
0: something.
1: I think that one's the one that has like, not magic, but like
2: mysticism in some way. Like? Yeah, it's a fortune teller thing. I think.
3: Although I think that's um, the one with Emma Stone also, right? Who cares? Whatever. Um, <laughs> it's so... God, that is a thicket that you really don't want to ever delve into. It's just like the forgettable Woody Allen movies. God, that Larry David one still kind of scars. Poor Patricia Clarkson was in that
2: Remember one. when Woody Allen made um, Magic in the Moonlight um, amidst you know storms of controversy, and the movie opens <laughs> with Colin Firth doing yellow face with all this chinoiseries yes. Like you're just wow. like, for the opening <laughs> yes. scene? Yes! I never
3: truly, saw that movie. Uh, truly a master of reading the room, Woody Allen, for sure. Uh, next but in 2010... S- same year as the Woody Allen movie. Yep, the, the Doug Lyman movie that nobody ever talks about, Fair Game, which I talked a little bit about on last week's podcast, or maybe the one before, about how uh, there was that re-edit of it that Emerged recently and because mm-hmm. everybody was clamoring was for a
1: director's cut of fair game,
3: absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah, another kind of a Naomi good movie, actually. movie. It's a solid movie, yeah. It's yeah. just, it just nobody ever talks about it, like, it didn't make any kind of a ripple at all, which is you know, which is bad a shame
1: because I... it's also the one where it's like she is the starring role, like, she's actually getting a good vehicle for her,
3: right? The movie oh, doesn't yeah, go anywhere
2: although she eventually it becomes sean penn's movie i i think mm. um you know it's weird that the she's moral stand so of times. that movie
3: kind of becomes his right you're right
2: yeah yeah it's weird they've worked together so many times
3: it is weird right it doesn't it feel exhausting like exhausting for her it it would and it also it never feels like they've got this like oh that classic watts Penn chemistry it's just like i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's a thing um, yeah. Watts
2: Pen sounds like a DC Metro stop.
3: <laughs> God, it was a nightmare at Watts Penn today. It really had to, you know, struggle through the crowds. Yeah, for sure.
2: All the DuPont Circle Gays moved to Watts Pen.
3: Two years ago. <laughs> it's a nightmare now. Um, 2011 has the combo of Dream House, where she plays third banana to daniel craig and rachel Weiss, if i'm not mistaken right
1: correct i watched that movie this week and it is truly among all of the naomi watts movies where you're like why is she in this movie (laughs) this it's the pinnacle of absolutely what the hell did she agree to do this movie for and it's probably because it's directed by jim sheridan who like has things like in america
0: yeah has uh, actual good movies on his
3: yeah. yeah exactly um that movie's garbage um that's one of those movies where I watched the trailer and I'm like, oh, I get, the, I know what the twist is. They like, obviously, feel
1: like the twist. There's there's twists that continue to happen, and Daniel Craig's actually good in the movie, but that movie's so silly, and her presence in it, playing this role that is very silly, that an Oscar nominated actress is playing it. Um,
3: she's not like the Doctor in it, right? She's She's no, the neighbor, she,
2: right?
1: She's a neighbor. She lives right. across the street
3: right. and like helps him solve
1: the whole mystery of it and she's like kind to him. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I remember fits and starts of that movie. That is But then also so 2011 also is the uh the second Naomi Watts movie that we did after or aside from I Heart is, is J. Edgar, the Clint Eastwood um horror show of bad makeup (laughs) that is (laughs) and she's the
1: she's the like one cast member if i remember that movie correctly that emerges from it unscathed
3: relatively yeah i mean
1: they put her in bad makeup too but she's not asked to do anything
3: silly or like laughable so she's she's the loyal secretary that great trope in hollywood you know who who doesn't want to play the loyal secretary in a clint eastwood movie
2: you know who i really wanted to tell the story of a uh, monomaniacal transvestite person who changed the course of american life for the worst immeasurably uh, is clint eastwood he's really gonna he really nailed the weirdness of that story
1: <laughs> you really wanted him to tell that story in the shadows oh <laughs> yeah. boy you Talk know who i want to see play a
3: homophobe
1: judy dench
3: yeah yes it's exactly what i want i still can't believe that movie ended with like the elegiac uh poetry that he like cribbed from eleanor roosevelt's diaries as he was reading through to try and blackmail her essentially for her queer associations
2: yeah. um chris she i should crazy. say i think that um judy dench's character in chronicles of riddick was homophobic i don't i think it was kind of subtextual <laughs> yes
3: yes, that's what filamina <laughs> yeah, about yeah yeah thank thank god i can't see all of you homos out there that's what she said in chronicles of riddick uh also her character in um oh fuck now i can't complete the joke because i can't remember the title of it the upcoming thing where she's in green goggles artemis uh, foul yeah boy that thing <laughs> which we're going to get right like of all the movies that we're not going to be able to see for a year thank god we're going to yes, get to see it it will be on well. Disney plus in June <laughs> uh 2012 is the big bright spot for Naomi she gets an oscar nomination for best actress for the impossible a movie Richard you and I saw together i'm pretty sure
0: mhm
2: and was it i and I, I i'm i'm i might be remembering this incorrectly or maybe i thought about it later but i remember seeing that movie and being like that kid who played the sun he's going to be yes. a star mm-hmm. and then oh, sure yeah. enough he was
3: Tom Holland, yeah. Tom Tom Holland Holland is fresh off of playing Billy Elliot. Yeah, that's right. The most successful of our Billy Elliots. He's so good in The Impossible. She gets the Oscar nomination for it. I that is a movie that I sort of run hot and cold on as I remember it. It has some very effective scenes. I think she's very good in it. Um, but it is also a movie that takes an odd angle, obviously, at the you know the tsunami of two thousand. Six, I can't remember the exact. Two thousand four, um, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's the visual. I think it's a it's a well made movie. It's J A Bayona, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um it's, it's big, big and yeah. uh, and then it ends with this visual of this white blonde family being literally yeah. airlifted yeah. out yeah. of this horror, and you're like, there are like two hundred thousand dead, you know, Thai and Indonesian people. <laughs> like, yes. uh, why are we focused on this one thing?
3: Yes, that's mm-hmm. that's the thing of it all. Yes. Um, but has some really, as I said, some really sort of harrowing, effective scenes, and I think she's very good. So she, of course, springboards from the Oscar success of The Impossible to make, in succession, um, adore the They'll Think We're Lesos movie with Robin Wright. Which she's uh, good in. Which she's I mean, that is sort of, you know, a fun, tawdry movie, I feel like. Um, but it's certainly not like the thing that's going to get her let's say another oscar nomination. the
2: problem with that movie is it doesn't take the one tawdry twist twist i wanted it to which, which is was the, 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 the boys sons kiss.
3: together <laughs> yeah yes they should they absolutely should it's what's his name it's james frenchville from uh animal kingdom the movie yeah and xavier and samuel
0: my
2: beloved xavier samuel who's a really good actor and yeah. just never quite took off he's in at least one of the few gay australian surfer movies that used to float around on netflix's lgbtq <laughs> section <A> genre
3: <laughs> unto itself yeah
2: well there's 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 gay australian surfer movies and there's uh european usually french or dutch um gays uh, high school sports movies um it's there are these little oh, mini genres yes. wow. yeah yeah um but yeah adora is a weird weird it didn't it used to have a different name It uh, had
1: like different names it was like two mothers
2: Right, to, something yeah.
1: about mothers, and then it became a door. Why call it a door when you can call it sunfuckers? It's so called sunfuckers.
3: It. Just call it sunfuckers. That's what it is. They fuck each other's sons. Come
2: on, and you could have it be S U N because they're outside a lot, and just it's like
3: a yes, double entendre. They are
1: floating on a raft in the ocean.
3: Also, I just I love the idea that she and Robin Wright are in a friendship where I can't imagine a more imbalanced. Um, set of personalities than like severe and frightening Robin Wright with like <laughs> meek and accommodating Naomi Watts. It's so, it's really funny to think about that. I don't know. Anyway, follows that up with the universally reviled movie 43, of which I've maybe seen like one uh, one of its component little uh, short films or whatever, and it's Naomi's and it's awful. Um, and then a movie called Sunlight Junior that I never saw, but I do remember it being a Tribeca Film Festival premiere and all that that entails in terms of like, (laughs) was submitted probably for Sundance and was not accepted. And it's just like, okay, we'll go down the road to Tribeca. Her and Matt Dillon are in that movie. But 2013 was my awesome Tribeca year where I worked for them and got like whatever the gold pass was. And I just got to see any and everything i got to basically just like hop around the uh the chelsea movie theater and you know see whatever i wanted and that was really fun that was a fun year and then remember film festivals yeah yeah remember mm-hmm. film festivals mm-hmm. weren't they great
2: um as we record um it's a saturday i would be flying to can tomorrow
3: oh richard Ooh. oh yeah. wow I'm so sorry i mean it's fine all right we're gonna you know it's a year off and then we'll be back we'll be back
2: it's just funny that like in mid-march i was like they're never gonna cancel it'll be it's gonna that's (laughs) in (laughs) mid-may
3: it's so far away from now (laughs) yeah yeah oh see and this is sort of what i think some of us are trying to tell ourselves about uh toronto or at least worse trying to tell ourselves about toronto it's just like i can't see toronto i've yeah i've given
2: up anything happening for the rest of the year sadly yeah
3: yeah so now that brings us up to the doorstep of diana Our our Topic du jour, directed by Oliver Hirschbegel, who directed Downfall, the, uh, m- the meme that you've all seen and loved of, uh, of Hitler pounding on a table, Downfall, written by Stephen Jeffries, starring Naomi Watts, Naveen Andrews, Cass Anvar, Lawrence Belcher, Douglas Hodge, Juliet Stevenson shows up for a cup of coffee in this movie, kind of a literal cup of coffee in this movie, premiered September 5th, 2013 in the UK and then limited in the United States on November 1st. Richard Lawson, would you like to deliver a 60-second plot description for this film?
2: Yeah, I think I can do it in less than 60. I think I can do it pretty quickly.
3: <laughs> All right. Ready when you are, and start.
2: So Princess Diana, is, played by Naomi Watts, is uh, divorced or separated from Prince Charles. Um, She's trying to figure out what to do with her life, part of which ends up being um, working in uh, countries where there are a lot of landmines. Um, Meanwhile, she is lonely and looking for love, and she meets a doctor that no one else remembers, uh, and that some people probably think Naveen Andrews is playing Dodie Al-Fayed. He's not. Um, uh, They have a romance that kind of goes nowhere and falls apart because she's Princess Diana and he's not famous. Uh, Then she meets Dodie, and then she
3: dies. There's Oh, boy. 28 (laughs) seconds left on the clock. Richard Lawson sets a new record. The 32 second plot description of Diana. Yeah, that's it really distinguishing all.
1: Distinguishing two different men that Princess Diana dated. You have gone deeper than the <laughs> film does.
3: <laughs> Genuinely. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Let's talk about Naveen Andrews now. Why not? Um, plays a, a heart surgeon in London named Hasnat Khan who dated Diana. Sort of under the radar and on and off throughout these sort of last two years of her life um i like naveen andrews sort of in general liked him on lost he's good in the english patient i found him dreadfully dull in this movie and I can't entirely deny that I chalk a lot of that up to his haircut in this film, which is (laughs) so dorky. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't, I know that's, like, a not fair thing to just be like, she would never fall in love with somebody with that hair. But, like, kind of.
2: Yeah, he's genuinely terrible in this movie. Um, And his character is so unappealing. Um, He's an asshole. Like he's he has these insane expectations of what dating Princess Fucking Diana is going to be like, right? Um, you know, I it's want just to date like,
3: you, but I can't deal with the paparazzi. It's just like, well, sir, it's
2: like, well, who do you who did you think was going to happen? Um, right. It's just so I, I, you're just not rooting for them at all. Um, in and this half way, of that, the like, scenes yeah. of
1: him, he's like staring at like tabloids on the street. So it's like clearly you have some investment in like a celebrity culture. Or, or, like, you you can't say that you didn't expect this in pursuing this woman.
3: And you could almost see it if he was sort of prickly, but in a compelling way, or in, you know, where it's just like, oh, he's an asshole, but also he has these, you know, very exciting qualities. And, like, something that Diana would, after spending all these years with Charles, you know, stick-in-the-mud Charles, and... Now she's, you know, excited by this, like, fun and new personality, which is sort of what I think we're meant to see that she saw in Dodi Al-Fayed towards the end of the movie, where it's just like, at least he's got a fucking boat. Um, but you don't get that in Naveen Andrews in this movie at all. It's just like, oh, I don't know why you would hop from Charles to this guy. Like, I don't know what's the, you know, the appeal here.
1: While I was watching it, my husband piped in and he was, said, why does a brain surgeon have this shitty apartment <laughs> where it's like he has basically a bed that pulls out from the wall and it covers the whole living room and then he has a dirty kitchen and that's it.
2: They're trying to show, you know, that she's so like, oh, this bohemian life and whatever. And it's like, yeah, but again, he's a brain surgeon. He's not like, right. you know, playing jazz at a cafe. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: Right. <Yeah. laughs>
3: And it's like, and I I know that scene of her getting to sort of scrub up and like hover over his heart surgery had to have been based on a true story or else they would never put it in a movie because it seems so insane. Um, but it's also just like, that's the scene that's meant to sort of like sell her and thus us on like what an impressive man this is. He sort of, you know, he restarts this person's heart and saves his life. But even that is filmed in such a like quotidian and kind of like dull way. It's just sort of just like, I don't i don't understand why this moment is supposed to be beyond like the mere fact of it is supposed to be so thrilling i mean it's it's
2: not that surprising that a, a, a guy who directed a movie about adolf hitler looks at this material and is like eh, who cares like it's, <laughs> <Right>. okay then <laughs> this right. happened like this is so minor none <laughs> of this matters yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: But, like, there's so many of the relationships in this movie seem on that kind of, you know, sort of blah level. She's, she talks so much about how she only gets to see her kids every five weeks, and we get the one scene of her sort of, like, seeing them off into the chopper or whatever. But, like, if you're going to show how much Diana sort of, like, loves and misses her kids, like, give us a scene or two with them. Give us a scene where she and the Douglas Hodge character have a, like, bond. He's playing his her essentially, like... You know, sort of her Alfred, her Alfred Penny, yeah, her, her like man lone in confidant in this world. But we don't get any scenes where it's just like, oh, I really feel the bond between them at all. We, her and Juliet Stevenson, don't even really. It's just like that could have been a really like interesting relationship. Like, oh, this you know friend of hers. She didn't really have too many friends, and the movie just consistently underplays these scenes and doesn't give us anything to latch onto.
2: Well, what I think is so frustrating about this movie um, is that it feels very much like in its screenplay and its direction, a movie that thinks it's being smart by not giving us a ton of the expected biopic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because it movie has a disdain for biopics, it seems. And yet in doing that, I mean, this, we've seen this before, we're like, well, I'm going to make a superhero thing, but like, not like you're used to. And then it's just really boring, because they've stripped it of everything that people watch those things for. And right. I think you're exactly right Joe that like it's boggling to me that they that the, the choice was made to not have the children in the movie at all. It's like that like yeah. she's m- one one of the most famous mothers in the world. Like her children are hugely famous when this movie was coming out. Like it just like in every a- 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 aspect of it trying to avoid what it views as sensationalism and cheap sensationalism, it just yeah. it, it like completely denudes itself of any dramatic weight, you know.
1: And in a way like it it probably sees all that sensationalism as offensive or like inappropriate or disrespectful to the character. But in a way it's like, it's basically fetishizing her private time alone where she's just like sitting around being sad. And that to me was almost like more offensive in a way, or like more disrespectful to this person by like not really making her very interesting. And like basically just painting her as this sad woman sitting around and doing nothing like it it wasn't just that like post credits where it's like well why are we not learning more about like her activism work or like her global relief efforts those type of things because i, I don't know just the it, it, her defining trait as a character even though she's like a real person is like
3: moping yeah being like low key sad
0: yeah
2: she's sad about the about the constraints that her very public life put on her sure i understand that that we've seen that in movies about fame before and yet also in the movie we see her put on a bad wig and walk freely around the streets of london or just go out at night by herself no security detail anything and it's like okay if you're trying to tell us a story about someone whose life is so rigidly guarded and maintained you can't break your own rules because then it makes everything seem like why why is any of this happening Um, this is the kind of movie where i hate to be reductive but i watched it and i was like why did straight people make this like why like (laughs) Like, (laughs) what right (laughs) you clearly don't care so like give it to a woman or give it to a a gay guy or something like i don't know
3: or give it to a british person who at least have a fascination with you know what's going on by the way also i deeply needed that scene of her walking down the street in the brunette wig uh, to be scored to KT Tunstall's Suddenly I See, just so I could <laughs> truly complete the "The Devil Wears Prada of it all. I, I needed that. It was actually going to be Vanessa,
2: Vanessa Carlton, A Thousand Miles, but they couldn't get uh, <laughs> 10,000 miles, but they couldn't get the rights.
3: Making my way downtown, absolutely. I mean, she
2: absolutely. was making her way downtown, so.
3: She was, yeah. that was. I also love the fact that, like, All of this, she gets glammed up, she takes, you know, she puts on the wig, she's going out on the town, she's feeling her fantasy, and then it's like all to just go to this like kinda dingy comedy club. It's just like you know, and this guy
1: makes some like passing joke that's not funny, but she laughs because we're supposed to believe that she goes throughout her day is never hearing a joke. Yeah, she discovered humor for the
3: first time at that comedy club, truly. That was at least, though, the part of the movie that Um, I was like, oh, if this is going to be a bad movie, this is at least going to give me a little bit of fun, Is Uh you know, her in this, you know, long brown wig. And ultimately, we don't get anything that interesting again in the movie, which is a bummer. Um, Just to talk about why... I think the why did Diana have Oscar buzz question is a little bit self-explanatory. If you're going to make a biopic about Diana, about Princess Diana it's going to have Oscar buzz because biopics are Oscar's favorite genre and this is like the biggest, highest profile biography you can think of to make. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, do you think this is the kind of thing where, I mean, obviously it did not turn out to be a good movie, but is this the kind of thing where like, expectations were always going to be too high for a movie like this unless it was like legitimately fantastic?
0: I
1: mean, I think there's certain things that exacerbated those expectations beyond like, it's a Princess Diana biopic. I mean, her Spiegel was nominated for Downfall in Foreign Language. This is the year after Naomi Watts. Like, this is basically considered the big follow-up to her Oscar nomination. Yeah. And like, those things are seen as having momentum. But like, as far as it being like, basically too high to ever really um like, match our expectations, I think there's enough, like, comparisons to that that prove that to not be true, because, like, you think of, like, Spielberg and Lincoln, you know, that satisfied a lot of those expectations, too. It's just, like, it just doesn't always work out.
3: Here's what I find interesting is, so this comes out in 2013, obviously like the best case scenario was Naomi would have been going for best actress. The best, best actress field this year is four fictional characters. Kate Blanchett wins for Blue Jasmine. Amy Adams is, I know the aspects of American Hustle are based in true story, but like Amy Adams playing a fictional character for the most part uh, in American Hustle, Sandra Bullock in Gravity. Meryl Streep in August Osage County, but the one actress playing a real person is Judy Dench playing Philomena Lee and Philomena, a woman who was real, but nobody knew about. So it lets that angle sort of start from the ground up. And it's just like, oh, and now we can all, obviously the joke at the time, or at least the joke I was making at the time, was that like, Philomena Lee will show up for the opening of an envelope. It's just, just like, she will just like, she will be there. <laughs> she will be there to like cut the ribbon on, you know, a new supermarket or whatever. She was making all the press appearances. And it's interesting to sort of, um, you know, Philomena was the one that succeeded and Diana deeply did not.
2: I think that something about Diana's DNA um The movie's DNA, not the person, um, is was working against it from the get go. No matter how bad the actual movie is, which is pretty bad, I think like look at something like Judy, which a lot of people would probably you know older people especially would probably say there doesn't need to be a biopic about her. Uh, She has you know she she has all these films on the record. She has you know her Carnegie Hall audio. Like she's spoken for herself. I think a lot of other people would say, no, her story deserves to be told. I think with Princess Di, with Diana Spencer, I think a a lot more people were like, wanting to know her story is what killed her. And so we really don't need this movie. You know, making this movie uh, misses the point that her death proved um and so i think that they had to combat that from the get-go that there was a bit of an audacity into making that this movie at least when it was made yes maybe now with a, a more time removed it would be a different story but so i think that didn't help certainly and of course there was curiosity about the the, the, the tightrope walk of that like this high wire act like can they pull it off they certainly didn't but i, I don't know again i just think the people had a lot of knives out for this movie uh in a way that they don't for more conventional oscar biopics i guess
3: Mm. I, I thought of the Queen during this movie, because a, a lot of the Queen obviously has to do with Queen Elizabeth's reaction to the reaction to Diana's death. Not only, it was, It's less about her reaction to Diana herself dying than sort of her puzzlement at the nation sort of like coming out in deep mourning for Diana. And that movie, at least to some degree deals with the meta-narrative of it all that I think you really have to do, which is it's not just the royals. Like, it's the British people and the way they feel about them and react to them and sort of put put them on a pedestal but are also just, like, voracious for any kind of information about them. And that at least played an angle into the Queen that made that movie more interesting. And I think you almost have to do that with a movie about Diana or else it's just going to play very flat. Right, and that or there needed to, to be like... music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <That's> exactly. <laughs> there right. needed
1: to be Elton John revamping "Candle in the Wind."
3: I was kind of surprised he wasn't like a weird, cheeky little like one-off presence. You know, like one scene with like you know her and Elton or something like that, where he plays a waiter and she's at an outdoor cafe
2: and a wind gusts up and he's like, "My candles." <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> table for two, Benny and the Jets. Okay,
0: yes. <laughs> I, th-
1: I mean, I think the ultimate problem with the movie is that, like, if you take any type of knowledge that we already have about Princess Diana or her death or any significance out of the equation, because, like, the movie relies so much on, like, what we're bringing to the table, like... This is essentially a failed love story about very uninteresting people, at least as the story is told, and a lo- like a relationship that isn't all that compelling. You don't ever really root for them. They don't really have any defining traits, or they don't make each other like better people in any way. So it's like it, this has not just biopic problems, but like romantic drama issues. Like it doesn't. Yeah, satisfy on any of that. So it's like it just makes it all the more confusing to me that it's a biopic while you're watching it.
3: Yeah, there's also that scene where they break up, and um, she finally is just like, "If you won't do it, I'll do it. It's over." And then she runs away like Phoebe on Friends. Do you ever, you know, the thing on <laughs> <Phoebe> <laughs> yeah. Friends yeah. where she runs yeah. like a, like limbs all akimbo and stuff like that? I definitely got Phoebe vibes, watching uh, Naomi run as Diana. Maybe that was a character yeah. choice.
2: Well, choice. I mean, this movie is, by and large, not so bad it's good, but there are certain yeah. moments, like the run, uh, like various scenes that are supposed to be super romantic, but are really just very clunky, that are kind of laugh lines. I mean, like, it's... At times, it's kind of an appallingly bad movie. Like, it's kind of... surprised. I was surprised by how bad it was. Um, around this same time, I watched Grace of Monaco, which is that movie's problem is really that it's boring and it focuses on something that no one cares about, which is like Monacan tax law, um, which is kind of insane. Um, it's it's like, it's like the, the um, Phantom Menace of, of like, I don't know, glossy yeah. Euro biopics. Um, but yeah, this one, I don't know. And I also, I, but something that I found I was laughing at a lot as I watched it was the costuming, which like, everyone else is like dressed like full nine or like you know 90s and naomi like has the hair but like a lot of her clothes are like of the of the 2000s in a way that they were she was like i don't want to look too boxy and taylor loft yeah It,
3: it does feel like they spent so much time trying to get every little minute aspect of the hair right and then they were just like, "Well, we're out of time. Just like put on whatever you have. Like we gotta go. We gotta <laughs> Someone
2: this- go to Nordstrom Rack and get us this a, a sweater set, cardigan.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, this movie was a massive critical bomb. Eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I know Rotten Tomatoes is an imperfect metric, but like you can't spin eight percent single <laughs> that's, digits. That's really bad. The one kind of." Um, it was still a negative review it was still like rotten on rotten tomatoes but manola dargas did write some complimentary things about naomi watts in the movie which i always appreciate that when there's like i think i i joked a little bit ago but just like if it's a movie everybody hates obviously rex reed will love it and like nobody cares if it's rex reed cuz it's whatever but like manola dargas is a is a you know respected voice in there and i'm glad at least that somebody i think she was at least trying to make the case that just like this is not on naomi like naomi's trying her best and and you know i think she saw maybe a little bit more virtue in it than i did but i'm glad you know it wasn't a pylon because of course naomi gets a Razzie nomination for this movie that like is shared between this and movie 43 and it's just like i don't know maybe movie 43 deserved it i don't know if this did i'm gonna go
2: a little harder than manola did um in that the performance in the film is not bad is not really what's wrong with diana the movie no. But I would knock Naomi for the hubris of doing it in the first place. I think it was a totally arrogant, weird decision at a totally wrong time in both the legacy of Diana's, you know, where that was and where Naomi Watts' career was. And I think the kind of, I mean, it's it is it's ballsy to go play Princess Grace, sure. But that at least had several decades remove, and her life yeah. was something else. You know, I, I don't know. I, I So I, I would kind of ding Naomi Watts for, for agreeing to do the movie in the first place.
1: It feels think... like one of her few cynical choices to me.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very calculated. And you... it's kind of satisfying in a way that the calculation didn't work, even though I'm I'm always rooting for Amy Watts, but like this one, it's yeah. like, yeah, that should have failed. It it deserved to fail.
3: There's a there's definitely a few interviews where she talks about the movie where the tone she kind of strikes, because it seems like the question of why do this movie at all was a thing that came up a lot and was a thing that I think she was prepared for, you know, the publicity team and and her were prepared for that question. And the, the note she sort of hits a lot when she's asked that question is, uh, this movie was going to happen anyway, so I wanted to, um, you know, make essentially just like make sure that I was there doing my best to make it good you know that was sort of the angle of it it was just like well you know this was going to happen so why not me kind of a thing and it does feel like that's not that's not why you make a movie and that's not why you make a decision like that and whether that's the you know as you said Chris the cynical sort of angle to take on it I also wonder if because the reaction to this in the United States was mostly just like you know lol bad movie and the reaction in England was just like (laughs) just absolute just firestorm and hell down on it and i wonder if a big part of that is because she's so identified as australian i know she's part english but like she's she's pretty much known as an australian actress and i wonder if there was a little bit of just like you don't get to tell our story in that reaction
2: the question then is who who would have been good around that time you know um yeah.
3: I can't really think of
2: anyone off the top of my head. I mean, for me, although the age difference was a problem, but had they at some point, I think Natasha Richardson would have been the perfect choice. Oh, yeah. You know, but that obviously didn't work out for a variety of reasons, all of them tragic. Um, Yes. But, you know, that's a... But it's either you go with someone like that or you just cast a complete no-name. You go the Claire Foy route and, and just have it be that.
3: Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's. I think ultimately, when you look at these like impossible casting decisions of just like who can live up, whose persona can live up to the thing, unless it's somebody that's such a no brainer, that's such an obvious choice, you almost have to go unknown to give yourself the best mm-hmm. chance of crawling out from under that.
2: Have they cast her on the Crown yet?
3: I thought so. Give me like half. A I
2: think it's. A, I think it's that. kind of a no name. I think. I think that's the thing that because it's Emma is playing, right? Is um playing older elizabeth.
3: Right. Uh yeah, I quick google says Emma Corrin is set to play yeah. Princess Diana. So, yes.
2: A smarter choice than a bit than a big than a movie star.
0: Mhm.
3: Yes, absolutely. It's it's just too much. It's too much pressure. It's too much um everything. Who yeah. is Gillian Anderson playing? Gillian Anderson's oh, playing Thatcher. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah, Gillian Anderson playing Margaret Thatcher to, with like extreme, um, frighteningness. Also, we'll probably put Meryl to shame, and Meryl will have to give back that third Oscar and then have to win it all over again, which I'm sure.
2: I once interviewed Gillian Anderson in person when she was doing *Streetcar* in Brooklyn. Uh huh. And I, I, I've never had this happen to me before because the, it, this is only true of a, of a few people. Uh, But I walked into the room being like, I wonder what accent she's going to speak in. And and the funny thing is, I can't remember. (laughs) I don't remember if she was Southern because of Blanche Dubois, or if she was just American, or if she was British. But like, yeah, anyway, she's fascinating. Gillian
3: Anderson sent you into a fugue state.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Was I even there? I don't know.
3: Oh, man. Do we have? Is there a season of The Crown in the can? That's not possible, right? We're not going to like get another one of those for a while, right? It'd be nice. That feels like for as much as I tend to kind of look at The Crown as a as a chore. Sometimes it's just like, well, I got time to make the donuts, time to go watch The Crown. I always do enjoy it once I do end up watching it, but it would be the perfect thing to you know watch when I'm holed up here in quarantine and all that. That is a show that has managed to do the, you know, portraying all of these larger-than-life British figures with a very, very minimum of, of blast back, really.
2: Well, I mean, I do talk to, like, British friends who are like, why do you watch The Crown? Well, how could you well, – who cares? <laughs> you know, and, and I, th- oh, I think all, there are plenty of people in England who do like it, probably older people. But, um, yeah, casting-wise, they've done well. I thought that Josh O'Connor is, um Prince Charles oh, was really yeah. good. Really, really, I mean, he's disgusting. like super hot, yes, but uh, <laughs> but th- also a good
3: actor. <laughs> but besides that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh O'Connor, one of the four identical-looking uh, Brits that I always confuse. Callum Turner, Josh
2: O'Connor, Callum Turner, right, is the other one. Yes, is another one. Yes. Um, Wh- George McKay
3: was one of them, and he's sort of like broken off from that pact. But there's there's still photos where he looks so much like some of the other ones, and harris dickinson is the fourth one who again oh yeah doesn't always look like the other ones but there are certain photos where i'm just like it's that same kind of appeal right that same kind of well bug-eyed, long pale, face yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
2: harris right. dickinson was in an adaptation of a ya novel that like barely came out no one saw it i think Amanda stenberg was the lead in it um and i went to a press screening that was like mixed of like press but also like some families or whatever, and there was this group of teenage girls sitting toward the front of the the theater, and you could just hear them, like, heaving over uh, Harris Dickinson. And it took all like. It it took all I could after the movie because they were like in a, like a little pool in the library in the, the lobby of the theater afterward to walk up to them and be like girls beach rats look into it <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't do that obviously you would but have it made was their funny. lives. Yeah. was that
3: one of those YA uh, stories where the girl has some sort of uh, tragic illness that she's not allowed to uh leave her home and the one boy dares to essentially climb up her rapunzel hair and (laughs) no here's (laughs) what was interesting about it everything and that is
1: nick robinson
2: yes this one was a very very oh we didn't get the note about divergent uh adaptation of like a dystopian ya novel Where kids are divided up by colors, you are a greeny or a bluey, like literally.
3: Wow, (laughs) greeny and bluey, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got it. I kind of maybe need to watch that now. It's not bad.
2: It's just very (laughs) dated.
3: As I mentioned, Naomi gets nominated for Razzie. This is her first ever Razzie nomination. She would get one more in twenty sixteen for the dual roles again of Allegiant and a movie called Shut In that I've never heard of much less seen but glad the razzies can scrape the bottom of the barrel to stick it to poor naomi watts um but so 2013 she gets nominated for diana and movie 43 at the same time along with selena gomez and getaway which is that movie she's in with ethan hawk i'm pretty sure um Lindsay lohan for the canyons because we all remember the, like, great brouhaha over the canyons and how that was... That's, like, a perfect Razzie choice where it's just like, oh, there was a lot of negative attention around this movie. And she's bad in that movie. But...
1: Um, and the Razzie's the like the to canyons. stick it to famous women. Because
3: I, was, I remember women. I saw a preview screening of that movie at either Walter Reed or one of the Lincoln Center Theatres and there was a reception after. But I remember watching that movie and, like, Dina Lohan is, like two rows away and everybody in the movie is just sort of watching this movie through the lens of a everybody knew Lindsay had a topless scene in this movie and B. everybody like basically knew that it was going to be really really bad so there's just like laughing at the bad dialogue and all this sort of stuff and it's just like her mom's right here it's so weird
2: yeah, they did all the screenings for that at Walter Reed Hospital.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for good reason,
3: truly. That's one of the great quirks of uh, of American Life, is that there is a Walter Reed movie theater for like, fancy-schmancy Lincoln Center stuff and a Walter Reed Hospital. Like, an
2: infamous hospital.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so, the movie, the nominee that I super call bullshit on, ha- Halle Berry is nominated for, again, two movies, Movie 43, which just nominate people for fucking Movie 43. That's the bad one. But it's the movie 43 and The Call, which I think is kind of junky, fun, and good. And I enjoy Halle Berry in that movie.
2: Well, the Razzies, like, their sense of humor is not good. So they don't no, get it, I no. think, a lot case of the time. In
3: point, case in point, the winner in that category is Tyler Perry for A Medea Christmas, which, like, it's 2013. We can't be making the Tyler Perry for playing a lady, like, joke, and, you know, we'll nominate him for worst actress, like. It's so old and stale and musty. Anyway, am I the only one who likes The Call in this, in this <laughs> I, I don't think seen I've seen, the seen it The Call, but I can probably yeah. bank
1: on liking The Call. I've it's-
2: seen the one where her kid gets kidnapped and she chases them in a car. I think it's called Kidnap. Yes. But that's not yeah, the Call. that Which-
1: I thought was somehow The Call
2: when it well, came out. it's very
3: similar. And then similar, what's the Kim Basinger the call- one, Cellular? Yes. Yes, with Chris yeah. Evans. With Chris Evans. But like, Berry, the, the Call is like Halle Berry is the nine uh, eleven dispatcher, and she's essentially trying to save Abigail Breslin, who has like been kidnapped and put into the trunk of a car. So like, wait, wait, it's, but
2: it takes place on
3: 9/11? Oh.
2: <laughs> nine eleven. Oh. Okay, yes, Sorry. it's
3: it's the finest of our nine eleven movies for sure. Yes, other uh, after. Um...
2: The Robert Pattinson Emily DeRavid one. Remember me. Remember, Remember me. me canonically the <laughs> Secret nine eleven movie.
3: Secret nine <laughs> yeah. eleven, that's the most classless, trashy thing I've ever seen in a movie. Oh surprise everybody, it's nine eleven and credits. It's so funny. We talked about Grace of Monica. We talked about the best actress lineup of that year. Anything else we want to uh dredge up about this movie before we uh close the book on it forever and ever and ever?
1: I don't know, there's shockingly little to talk about with this movie in terms of, like, any singular scene or, like, call-out.
2: Yeah, its biggest its biggest sin is that it's boring.
3: Deeply boring. Yeah. Which, like, it's easily the worst of the, are you bad boring or are you bad spectacularly so. Spectacular Boring will get you remembered. I think, again, I think in England, I think this movie's probably more notorious and more memorably bad. I think after a while, once the, like, you know, Diana and Grace of Monaco uh, twin failures kind of thing kind of faded away, nobody really ever talks about Diana anymore. Most people didn't see it. It's not like a movie where it's just like, it's so bad, you gotta see it. Like, most people just didn't see it. It faded away. It... Hard well exactly
2: it's living. it's like ebola it's so bad that people die before they can spread it you know <laughs> like <laughs> right it's, it's kind of a contained. self-containing it's a thing contained failure yes yeah. Yeah, yeah whereas grace of monaco like spread over the airwaves and like it went know, on to it television, really whatever infected television
3: <laughs> yeah. years that was a weird little that was part of the whole like weinstein company uh financial issues whatever where like they were just selling shit to lifetime for a while, because it was um, not only Grace of Monaco, but that Michelle Williams movie. Sweet Francais. Like, Sweet Francais, which was like in the can forever. And like every Years. year it was like, maybe Michelle
0: or <laughs> Sweet Francais. And, like,
2: you know. and Stockholm, Pennsylvania with Sir Ronan and Cynthia Nixon, um, which is an insane movie. this movie? Yeah. So this I've is a movie about movie. a girl who is kidnapped as a child and then um, is found as a young adult and brought back to her home and cynthia nixon's her mother and things get really weird because the mother is convinced that she's gonna that that her daughter's gonna try to leave because she doesn't really remember being uh living there
3: oh weird it's
2: not a good movie it was at sundance i was really excited to see it because i thought it would be cynthia nixon's supporting actor play that year it's not obviously um always always um, on the
3: lookout for cynthia nixon's oscar so she can egot yeah
2: exactly if you can track the movie down there is one scene that i can't i, I wish i had access to because so i could make a gif of it it's cynthia nixon looking like almost like ellen burston in um Requiem for a dream crazy um manically oh, on an old-timey exercise bike it, it's oh, like, no. it's so good in my memory the exercise bike is solid gold i know it's not but like
1: i love gold um you gotta quite. track it down it's it's also quite the plot
3: of that is very similar to the plot of the deep end of the ocean which is a movie we are going to have to do on this podcast at some point michelle yep. uh, michelle pfeiffer's deep end of the ocean co-starring richard you'll appreciate this jonathan jackson during his uh general hospital camp nowhere era
2: i was gonna say the deep end of my longing for jonathan jackson <laughs>
3: exactly. deeply
2: christian by the way Deeply, deeply. Christian. Oh,
3: oh yes, I remember because all of his daytime Emmy acceptance speeches were very much like God yeah. forward, and he's in a Christian rock band with like his brothers or something like that. I know too much about Jonathan Jackson. It's
2: <laughs> well, you wrote the, the biography. I did Semi, the teen, semi-authorized the,
3: the Teen Beat uh, biography yeah. of Jonathan Jackson of the kind where, like in the middle, it's eight pages of glossy photos. Yeah, that's yeah, that was nice. <laughs> uh, wrote it when I was sixteen years old. That was my claim to fame.
2: And and the, the last sentence of the book, those two couple sentences is like, though he might have been to camp nowhere, Jonathan Jackson is going somewhere, right? That was it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I invented I invented that form of writing. It was very okay, influential good. at the time. Um, I love those movies where you will discover them on either cable or streaming, where it was just like this movie is has two famous actors in it for it to have been this unknown. I remember I found on cable the one time there is a movie where Dakota Fanning and um Patty Cakes, I can't remember what the actress's name is, but the actress who played uh, Patty Danielle
1: Cakes, Danielle McDonald.
3: Right. Are two girls who one of them went to jail. They like they like killed a child together. It's a whole that whole, you know, thing in England where like the two young people kill a younger person or whatever. And like one of them went to jail and one of them came back and Elizabeth Banks is investigating the one for another baby that's gone missing. And Diane Lane is one of their moms. And it turns out that like, whatever we thought it was Dakota Fanning, who's the bad one, but Patty cakes is the bad one. And the weird thing is that
2: movie is made by like a really respected documentary filmmaker, right?
3: Oh, that's very, I think
2: that's like, it's like her first like, uh, you know, um, scripted film um but yeah that movie is bad
3: yeah it's bad and it's on like hbo or showtime or one of those channels like kind of a lot i'm just like maybe this isn't good for anybody that it is is
2: fun seeing diane diane lane as a kind of medea like evil mom role though that's different for her
3: i want diane lane to stretch as much as possible i think she's so i think she has so much you know potential to go crazy and she kind of ends up playing the same kind of a person kind of a lot i don't know a little bit with of a the bummer. exception of Serenity, with the exception of Serenity, where she plays a um, off-the-shoulder top in human form, like that sort yeah. of.
2: She plays a non-playable character, an NPC. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> she <laughs> plays it. a horny guava <laughs> from the mind of a twelve-year-old. From the mind of a grieving twelve-year-old comes. Yeah, I love like- this
2: gay 20- twenty. It's t- gay twelve-year-old yes. who's like Diane Lane type enters like. <laughs>
3: You know, a brassy old like uh, whatever yeah. woman who patronizes male hookers. Yes, that's exactly Desdemona. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like, like
2: a twelve like like a normal twelve year old boy would be like, uh, it's like Gigi Hadid, and instead it's like Anne Hathaway type.
3: <laughs> uh, I just imagine like his like one buddy is just like, so you wrote a video game, and he's like, yeah, it's really campy. <laughs> it's just like. Okay. <laughs>
2: on this really gay island where
3: dude my dad fucks the shit out of my mom in this in this game it's really awesome god. what a great movie what a fine fine film Serenity was thank god thank god we had it before just under the wire before everything went to it.
2: you should start a side, po- side podcast called wish had Oscar buzz where you just talk about movies that you wish had-
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> in what, in what possible version of the universe week. yeah oh boy all right. Um, yeah, we should start a serenity podcast. We should. Just like covering just 1 minute of that movie uh every week. Wasn't that wasn't that Blank Checks original idea with Phantom Menace that they were going to cover that movie like 5 minutes at a time?
2: Yeah, something, but then it got exhausting, I think.
3: Well, it's Phantom Menace. I mean, it's <laughs> it's only going to turn out that way at some point. All right. Uh anything before we jump into the IMDb game? I think it's interesting that Naomi
1: Watts got so burned, basically, on biopics, that the closest thing that she's made to one is the Glass Castle since. Because this is basically a decade since this movie, and you think for a prestige actress she would show up in another biopic,
3: but she's not. What would be a good biopic for Naomi Watts to be in at this point? I mean, I guess she played on TV. She played uh, Gretchen Carlson in... i suppose that's
1: true that kind of voids my point i want to see her well i mean gretchen Carlson's the same thing but uh i want to see her play someone evil
2: (laughs) you know what she would be fun at would in a in a few years time uh if she played martha stewart during the whole insider trading (gasps) situation that's
3: a really good idea great because as we've talked about in on this podcast before, her American accent's fantastic. And Martha all has that sort of like mid-Atlantic sort of, you know, way of speaking. Anyway, yeah. So. Although her
2: voice is so much lower, Martha's is. I don't know. But, but anyway, I think... I would like I think, to see her tackle yeah.
3: that challenge. I think that would be really interesting.
2: Something, so I think you're right, Chris, something kind of bad, dark, not that Martha Stewart's bad, but you know, um, something where she a, has a little bit more like agency, I guess, would be interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and I think a, a, a Martha Stewart biopic—you don't have to be so reverent. You don't have to worry about, you know, are people going to think we're being, you know, unfair or too too anything? I think a lot of Diana's problems are that they didn't want to be too gossipy or too salacious or show too much, you know, of the the you know the sons in a bad light. So they didn't have them in it at all. Where it's like you don't have to be precious about Martha. And also, you could cast her daughter really interestingly, like because her relationship with her daughter is so sort of like. Famously feisty. Let's make this happen, you guys. Let's all produce this movie together. Richard, you have all that trolls money, right? We can you can finance this movie.
2: No, because I, I I invested in theme parks uh, and live <laughs> theater <laughs> in February.
3: You invested in theme parks Those and handshakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm I'm ruined. All my, f-
3: all my futures are in hugging. Weirdly, so now that's yeah, I'm I'm ruined.
2: Yeah, I had invested a huge amount of money in singing telegrams. Um,
3: <laughs> just buffet restaurants upon buffet
2: restaurants. yeah, yeah i I'm a, I'm a majority stakeholder in golden corral um.
3: <laughs> anything with a chocolate fountain that you have to stick your dirty hands into yeah yeah, yeah. that's exactly <laughs> ball pits and whatnot yeah anyway <laughs> chris why don't you uh explain the rules of the imdb game for our listeners Alright, so guys, every week we end our episodes
1: with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they're most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released. Yours has a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints.
3: It's the IMDb game. We love free for elephants. Richard Lawson, you have played this before. You uh, will get the opportunity to either give a uh, challenge, Chris or me, with your IMDb selection. Who would you like to challenge?
2: Oh, I have to choose. Um, yeah, you get to choose. Okay, so I okay, I'm going to challenge Chris because I think I don't know. I just have a hunch that you might get this quicker than joe Not that's not an offense to you joe but um
0: i take so deep offense
2: about so that. my challenge uh, is and I, I i I did change this by the way i came in I thinking i was going to ask you guys uh to name the top four for naomi's um uh, we don't live here anymore co-star peter krause because there is oh. one funny answer on that but the other three are kind of whatever the yeah. funny answer by the way. Well, I I won't tell you yet. But um but the, what I'm going to ask instead is Chris, if you can name Juliet Stevensons. Four. <sighs> fun
1: <laughs> Okay. Um uh is truly madly deeply on there. Sure is.
2: Yep.
3: Okay. Um, I would have bombed at this by the way, Richard. You chose the exact right person to give this to. I would have been good. so bad. I think she's
1: too low build on um, Diana, to for Diana to be there. I'm going to say the Gwyneth Paltrow Emma.
2: Exactly right. Okay, okay. I, I, I did choose well, Joe, you're
3: right. You did, you did. I would have bombed. Um,
1: there's got to be, like, other British comedies in there,
3: right? Like
2: That is a good uh, inclination, yes
0: mm-hmm
3: <clears throat> you're missing the only one i would have gotten right on this one by the
2: way oh and interestingly well I, I won't say yet but there is an interesting thing about the two left
3: oh
1: okay she's i'm trying to think of what she's in um that i can remember uh she no wait she's in Bendit like beckham right Yep, that's, that the that's the
0: third. That's the third.
1: Yep, that's okay. the one I would have gotten. Uh, so one more. Yeah, you're. Free I'm for just free. gonna start randomly guessing like Mike Lee movies, because um, <laughs> for the life of me, I can't remember anything else. Um, uh, I know that one of these is gonna be bad. Like I should know, and I can only just like picture her in Truly Madly Deeply, which I haven't seen in a long time. Um... Do I just start guessing, like Vera Drake?
2: No, another um, year. <laughs> Peterloo. <laughs> speaking, uh, speaking of years, though, it did. It's the same year as Bend It Like Beckham. But
1: okay, so it's oh two. Is it also a British like comedy, like Bend It Like Beckham?
2: It is mm, British. <laughs> Um, and
3: it's okay. a comedy-ish but it's, it's not sort really like of a period, period piece it is a period
0: piece, yes
1: okay, so it's oh yes. two. 2 that's not if it's comedy-ish, that's not it's
3: not Mike Lee or anything like that um, oh boy, I'm trying to remember it's not Mike Lee, but it's one of those like, oh this cast is a very uh, sprawling cast, full of names you know <laughs>
2: And it stars an attractive man.
3: A very attractive man. A very attractive
1: man in a British ensemble period comedy. Yes. In 2002.
2: Directed by the same director as I Don't Know How She Does It.
3: (laughs) Is that true? that's very that's yep. Yeah. i
2: don't know who directed <laughs> that um,
3: and it was nominated for a golden globe for best musical or comedy film
1: oh really okay um yes, it was obviously it would have lost to chicago indeed uh oh its wow. title
2: is alliterative it is mm-hmm. oh two
1: <laughs> nicholas nickleby there you go Jesus. I haven't <laughs> thought about that movie in probably eighteen years. Who's the lead of that movie? Charlie Hunnam. Oh Jesus Christ.
2: And Jamie Bell's in it too.
1: All I know is that um isn't Anne
3: Hathaway in that movie? She sure is. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh uh Charlie Hunnam, Jamie Bell, yeah. Anne Hathaway, Juliet Stevenson, Christopher Plummer, our girl Romola Gary is in that movie. Uh, it's supposed to be a pretty good movie, I think. Yeah, I've never seen it, but it did get very good reviews, obviously. The Golden Globes really loved it, yeah. Okay, what
1: other Juliet Stevenson embarrassing things have I forgotten? I mean... <laughs> because even though I did well, I feel like I could name the things that I could place her face in.
3: I think she's got a pretty representative of... Um, the one you forgot that I thought you might guess is uh, Mona Lisa Smile, because that movie obviously means a lot to... Us, us but i don't remember her in that movie she's like one of the you know she's one of julia roberts's friends i'm pretty sure
2: and and note, she's the one they imply is gay right mm-hmm. am i remembering that correctly
1: yes yes yeah. uh, see i can't picture her in it but like that yes tracks. you're totally right yep.
2: but also chris you should have I, I thought you would remember her for um playing lady cassandra eltham in the julia style series riviera which you created so i i thought that you know just kind of because <laughs> yeah, you worked I with did. her
1: um I know that wasn't uh, that wasn't a um, great relationship. So that's <laughs> oh, I see. About. Okay, um, <laughs>
3: not a great right. experience for you.
1: Yeah. Moving right along, I guess, Joe. I am giving to you. You are. Um, I did not go the Naomi route. I actually went the Naveen Andrews route. I did not go to Lost because all of those people are are the either Marvel movies or Lost. Yeah, I I, easy. I flirted
3: with Evangeline Lilly myself, but I didn't.
1: Instead. I went with his English Patient co-star and Oscar winner, Juliette Binoche.
3: Okay. Not Juliette Binoche. All right. Binoche. English Patient. The English Patient. Correct. Chocolat. Chocolat. Correct. Okay. Now the question is, is it her more American movies where she doesn't maybe get the best roles or... Her, uh, Olivier Assayas side. Hmm. Okay. I'm gonna guess Clouds of Sils Maria. Correct. Woo! Okay. No All wrong right. guesses.
1: One left to go.
3: Okay. So I should probably stick with the European stuff. Oh. Uh, Gosh, all right. What's. I want to. Now I have pressure because I want to get four for four. Um, <laughs> oh, what was the one I really loved her in? Well, there's two that I really love her in. I kind of love her I in everything. Be, no, yes, but like above above the rest. But I would be so surprised if it was either certified copy or Summer Hours, even though. She is so fantastic in them. I love Summer Hours. All right, I'm going to actually switch gears. I'm going to go American. I'm going to guess Godzilla. No, not that- Godzilla where she basically shows up to die. To die. She sure does. Absolutely. All right.
0: and um, we're supposed
1: to believe that she is she, Juliette Binoche, world treasure, Oscar winner is married to Brian Cranston.
3: right offensive right oh actually i'm gonna guess cachet no not cachet okay but your year is 1993 oh oh it's um what's it's the kislowski movie is it um blue she's in blue three colors blue is the answer okay all right wow Excellent. i did not think it would go back that far. i, I
2: okay. kind of respect the, the the algorithm there i mean th- th- that's I four do. good things
3: that's, that's i think great. that's right yeah yeah i assumed
2: it would be dan in real life and godzilla would be I was, with the-
3: that was the other american movie i was thinking of it was like godzilla and dan in real life or um or certified copy summer hours and turns out neither okay I
2: so Juliette binoche in her that. in her american films Juliette binoche has been paired with brian cranson and dane cook
3: Cool. (laughs) 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 Jesus, unbelievable. Yow.
1: all right. I wanted let the sunshine in to be in there because she is wonderful in it. I love
3: that movie, but it is not. All right, Um, Richard. Here is I went. What was the route that I took for this one? Sorry, I sometimes these are circuitous. Oh, okay. Oliver Hirschbiegel, in addition to directing Diana, directed. The Invasion with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig, a movie that I keep meaning to watch but still have not. Uh, One of the actors... bomb that maybe Nicole should have let Naomi know about. Yeah. Oh, wait. Maybe this wasn't... How did I get to this person? I don't know. You know what? This person I don't think is even in The Invasion. I'm trying to do my my, uh, backing through my uh, IMDb history, and she's not in this movie. You know what? Forget about that. I don't know how I got to her but I picked Samantha Morton. So
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> um I would say minority report.
3: Minority report is correct.
2: Is The Walking Dead on there?
3: No, no television. Okay. Samantha Morton is on The Walking Dead.
2: A she major season villain, season. yeah. Yes. Well, she's dead now, but I don't watch Why? it anymore, but yeah. But yes, yeah.
3: yes. Yeah, she was like the villain for like two seasons
2: yeah um okay uh what's that movie in america is she in that no yeah.
3: weirdly enough not in america even though she was oscar nominated for that
2: sweet and lowdown
3: no also oscar nominated for that one not that one oh, very very what else is so, that none of her oscar
1: nominations are in her very 94. strange
3: her so your missing years are 2008 2009 and 2012
2: Hmm. I don't think I've been paying close enough attention to Samantha Morton's career. Um. I think I need more hints because I'm not. I'm just like
1: aren't... I didn't know she was in the 2012 movie, but I haven't seen it. 2009. She is in it. She's really good in it, but she was not nominated, but a supporting actor was.
3: Yeah.
2: She is. The, so she's the lead.
3: No, no, she's the um she's the most prominent uh woman in the cast, but it's about these two men, these two uh military men.
2: Oh, the Sheridan no. Um No. Nope. Two two military men. Oh, the Major Dad movie?
3: Yes. She, <laughs> she she's 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 gunny. She plays the Delta Burke role in the Major Dad movie. Again. Right.
2: Yeah. Um oh uh,
1: this too- i believe was this actor's first oscar nomination i'm gonna look it
3: up no he had been nominated previously for oh uh, yes yes duh. Duh, 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 duh
2: for brit is it a british military movie no,
3: no it's, it's american. american although they do very both wear, indeed they do both wear berets in this movie which makes them look plausibly british but it's not it's they're american
1: I think this is one of the lowest uh, grossing acting nominees.
3: They're not in the combat in this past. movie. They have oh a,
2: oh, um, the, uh, oh the the Oren Moverman movie um, with Woody Harrelson. Yes, uh, which yep. is called Valor or The Brave or some I don't know some title
3: the like messenger. that. Right? Messenger. Yeah, you got the, it. Messenger. the messenger. Yeah, you got the movie though. Yeah. All right. So of the two you're missing, one has a huge ensemble cast even though there's like one character who's like very literally the center of the universe in this movie and the other one is based on a novel that people really love um a director that has worked with Naomi
1: Watts oh yeah
0: Hmm. and
1: I think this also
3: I may be wrong but I think Julia Binoche is in this movie she is in this movie you're absolutely right and what year was that one 2012, most of it takes place in a car.
2: 2012 takes place in a car.
3: I'm almost positive you've read this novel, because it seems very much like a novel you'd have read.
2: When did Everything is Illuminated come out? That's in a car a lot. That's no. not
3: Everything Illuminated. 05. But,
2: uh, oh, okay. Okay. Um, sorry guys, I'm so bad at this. Um, this is gonna have to get heavily edited.
1: This is a, um, a heartthrob actor that was mostly known for, at this point, a certain franchise, and has now pivoted to basically doing mostly movies like this.
3: Except he's now attached to another major franchise. Yes. Oh. But, like, classic, like, everybody thought he... uh... Oh, um...
2: Cosmopolis or whatever.
0: Cosmopolis.
3: Cosmopolis. Yeah. Okay.
1: Your final movie is 2008. It is dir- written and directed by somebody who is more so known as a writer, um, but he directed this movie as well. Um, he's going to have another movie this year that will be on Netflix.
3: Yeah, has an as- has an Oscar as a writer. This might have been his first movie he directed. It's like a very. I do believe. Very sort of surreal movie. And Samantha Morton plays. There's a lot of actresses in this movie. Oh,
1: Synecdoche? Yes.
2: Synecdoche,
3: New York.
2: Okay, good hints. Sorry, I'm so bad at that game.
3: No, it's it's a really. She's got a really tough. uh, She's got a really tough IMDb game because it does. (laughs) Pivot away from both the like commercial stuff she's been in and also the stuff she got Oscar nominations for.
2: I, I think she also looks so different in every movie. Um, yes. At least for me, anyway, that I'm like, I, it, it's like I, I don't have a, pi- a picture of her in many movies, yeah. you know?
3: Oh, here's why I arrived at her because the writer of Diana, Stephen Jeffries, also wrote both the play and the screenplay for that movie, The Libertine that I've never seen. Johnny Depp. All I know of it is that Johnny Depp has a big curly wig in that movie.
2: (laughs) She probably also sprang to mind because you have her in a bathtub full of milk at your house telling you the future. I mean, I I think that would be probably...
3: And you guys do not want to know what she's been telling
2: (laughs) you. Yeah, no, I really don't, actually.
3: (laughs) um, I'm looking at her IMDb. It's a real interesting... Uh, list of movies where, like, I don't remember her being in John Carter, but like, okay, she was in John Carter. I obviously,
2: think she was like CGI'd over.
3: Oh yeah, yes, yeah. I think she's right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Um. Obviously, she was in um Elizabeth the Golden Age, playing Mary Queen of Scots, the predecessor to our Ceria for playing Mary Queen of Scots. But anyway, yeah. Well done. Well, well played, Richard. That was probably mean if me to <laughs> pick that one. no
2: it was fun i mean it's it's good to remember that she's in a lot more than i remember
3: definitely all right thank you so much for being with us on this episode i'm glad you were here to uh sift through the dull <laughs> ashes of poor uh oliver hershpiegel's diana yeah yeah, yeah I mean, thank you so much for joining us yeah happy
2: to do it um you know, any movie where the most exciting thing is a wig reveal, like, I'm there. I'm there. So
3: <laughs> yes, at the very <laughs> least, there was that. It's true. Uh, that is our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had Oscar dot You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Richard, where can our listeners see and hear more from you?
2: uh well they can hear more from me uh uh, on vf's podcast little gold men and still watching uh still watching is just wrapping up a season about mrs america uh before going on hiatus but we got a lot of great interviews um i'm talking to sarah paulson next week um and little gold men were just trying to figure out how to talk about movies and tv when you know especially movies um don't exist anymore um So that's that writing for VF.com, a lot of reviews uh, and tweeting at Ryla's R I L A W S.
3: You guys at little gold men have come up, come upon a really cool solution to the fact that there are no more new movies at the moment. Um, Have both the polls trying to get people to vote on what they want you guys to talk about, but you've had some really interesting movies in sort of the Oscar history, the conversation of Oscar history to talk about.
0: (laughs)
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, that has been fun. I was will say that one thing that wasn't fun was the night before we recorded an episode, so like 1130, 1145, realizing that the only version of Amadeus available anywhere is the three-hour <laughs> Milos Forman director's cut, <laughs> and staying up till three in the morning watching Amadeus. But I was glad to have finally seen that movie, so… I got to see that
3: movie. I I also need to see Ordinary People, which was another movie you guys talked about. So like, clearly you guys are giving me great inspiration to see good movies.
2: Well, I'm glad. So yeah, you, this is, this is a, this particular episode is about a movie that no one should see. Um, Right. But yeah, you guys are covering the movies people should (laughs) see. and We are uh,
3: not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Christopher, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at V file. That's F E I L also on Letterboxd under the same name. I, on the other hand, am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I I am also on Letterboxd. uh, Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So make like a true people's princess and show some love to your favorite people, a.k.a. us. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Goodbye, England's Rose. You've been holding that in your pocket. This entire time. I'm on
1: top.